Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Good. If you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter, are you guys awake? Okay. I'm just not funny. I get it. No big deal. So Luke chapter 11. And uh, if you were with us last week, remember this is the, the uh, a dynamic account of where Jesus had healed this. Uh, he cast a demon out of this mute man and, and it created all this kind of, um, the, the Pharisees got up in an uproar over the thing. They, they thought that Jesus did it in the power of Satan. And so we talked about dispelling devilish deceptions last week and how easily we're deceived by the devil who is the master deceiver. And he's at work tirelessly to deceive us. And like I said last week, it's, it's, sometimes it's not too hard for him to deceive us because because we talked about what deception is. It's really just an attractively packaged lie. And how it appeals to us in some way, shape, or form. Not all forms of deception are like that. But many of, many of the things that we are deceived about in our own lives, we're deceived about as a result of um, the fact is it is appealing to us. Uh, much more than the light that is being shed. And so, um, when I was an unbeliever, you know, and... and and, um, you know, I was deceived in many ways. And, and now that I'm a believer, I have the light in me. I, God has shined that light in me. And yet, I know, as I challenged you last week, to look at my own life, there are still deceptions in my life. There are still things that, you know, the Lord is shining His light in on my life. And He's saying, hey, Tim, don't be deceived about that. Don't be deceived about this. Don't be uh, deceived about these things. And maybe you, uh, you know, looked at your life last week like I challenged you to, and the Lord spoke to you in that way. As, as you would just sat before him humbly, surrendering yourself to him and saying, Lord, are there any, any deceptions in my heart? And maybe it was something the Lord spoke to you about what you were watching or reading or, you know, receiving, whatever it might be, maybe jousting, maybe whatever it might have been. You know, the Lord speaks to us because he doesn't want us to be deceived. The Bible is full of the phrase, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. If you missed the sermon last week, you can catch it on our website. Uh, we're continuing that conversation that Jesus is having with this mixed crowd of people. Remember, some believed that Jesus was operating by the power of Satan. So there was, there was that camp in the crowd. There was, they were deceived in thinking that Jesus was being a tool for the enemy. Although everything that he did was good and right. That makes no sense, I know. But, but that's what they thought. Some were deceived in the sense that they thought they needed to see more signs from Jesus. So just show us some more things, Jesus. They thought that seeing more would cause them to believe, and we know that's not the case. And yet there was at least one other group, one, one person, and I don't know if that makes it a group, probably not, but there was at least one other person in that crowd that was deceived in thinking that Jesus did all that he did because of his mother, because of the way that he was raised or whatnot. And she said, blessed is the one who nursed you and all. You know, the, speaking about Jesus' mother, she too was deceived. And so Jesus is continuing to speak to these people who are deceived. And he's attempting to shed some light on them uh, who are unwilling to, to believe in him. And so if you stand with me real quick, we're going to pick up the conversation that Jesus is having with them. In Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 33. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, no one after lighting a lamp puts it under a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your light is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. 
Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in, reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he had not first washed before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside also make, make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees! For you tithe mint and rue and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seed in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you also insult us, or you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build uh, the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. You also are witness, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, God, and we ask that you would just shine the light into our hearts this morning. Lord, help us to see what it is that you want to speak to us about in this passage. Lord, remind us of the light that we have within us if we are believers and the light that we are to shine out into this world. So God, come now, speak to us through your Holy Spirit, and help us understand your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You ever notice how important awareness is in our culture today? It seems like no matter what social media platform I get on or whatever, um, somebody's talking about awareness. And awareness is, it's a good thing. It's meant to shed light on uh, a subject or something, some subject that people are in the dark about. As I was studying this week, I came across a unique way to share awareness regarding the visually impaired. It's called dining in darkness, or dining in the dark is really what they call it. Are, are you ready for this? Dining in the dark, it's literally just that. It's dining in the dark, pitch black. Pitch black. You, you, there's these restaurants that have or originated in Europe. It was a movement that's trying to bring awareness to those who are visually impaired, you know. And so they, they, they thought the, uh, it would be a good idea for people that aren't blind to have dinner in the dark for a couple hours to see what it's like to be blind. 
Interesting enough, when you show up to one of these places, they popped up all over metropolitan areas, even in the states here, all over the world, really. And uh, when you show up to one of these places, immediately when you come in the door, there's a hostess there, and she says, okay, I need you to take off, I need you to um, place anything that is, generates light into a box, into a little lock box or whatever, and they put, it, they put all their phones and their watches and lighters, anything that would generate light into, into a lock box. And then, this is where it gets interesting, then a visually impaired person, a blind person, or someone of that sort would come and lead you to your table in the pitch block. And they would, they would guide you along the way. Now, this isn't scary for them because this is how they live. They live that way, and yet, uh, you, you know, it would be a little unnerving. This is definitely not the kind of uh, place you want to go and wear a white shirt or anything like that. You're, it says, in fact, you know, don't wear nice clothes when you come here because you're liable to get some food on your clothes. But, um, but the idea is that you can experience and, and be brought some awareness about what it's like to be in the dark. Their mission is to turn the tables on society's attitude toward disability. It's kind of an interesting thing. It's an appropriate way to bring awareness, right? To, to be visually impaired, for you to sit in that situation and for you to feel what it's like. Well, well, Jesus also, we find him this morning dining in darkness. And he also is on a campaign to bring awareness about the spiritually uh, impaired. Those who are living in darkness rather than the light. And that's what we find in our text this morning. And the first thing that Jesus does is gives us a lesson on light, on spiritual light. And then he, he shows us that light is never to be hidden. It's always uh, supposed to shine. If it's not shining, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. And he also tells us in the, in the same sense that we can never ever shine light if we don't receive it in first. So he has to be the source of light. And that's what he's going to talk to us about. The idea that we have to receive it, it has to reflect into our lives, and then it can come out of us. And there are many of us in this, uh, in this congregation today that are in different stages of that, receiving or reflecting or beaming out light. Jesus tells us, he's going to give us a little lesson on light, on how we can be effective as ministers, light is supposed to do in our lives. And then he joins uh, some darkness in, a, in a, uh, a dinner party that he's invited to by a Pharisee. Uh, go figure that, that somebody would invite him after they just accused him of being a, uh, um, uh, empowered by Beelzebul. But, you know, maybe he was one in the other camp that wanted to see more signs. We don't know who he is. But the reality is, is he was invited over to a dinner uh, party. And what a conversation he has. I'm sure that the Pharisee was not glad that he invited him after it was over. It, it turns out that Jesus' purpose for going was not to slam them, but to shed light in the darkness. He went to help them understand their spiritual condition that they might see the light. He is the light, and that's the purpose. So we begin tonight, or this morning, by looking at a little lesson on light. In verse 33, Jesus tells us, Light is meant to be seen. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under a cellar or under a basket or puts it in a cellar or under a basket but on a stand so that those who might see the, um, those that may enter may see the light. Jesus is dealing with a crowd that doesn't want to see the light. They need to either see more of it or they're confused about it. He, he's giving them a little lesson on light and he tells them plainly here, the intention of life is to be seen. You know, nobody is supposed to hide 
light when darkness is present. That would defeat the purpose of the light being there. Light is meant to be seen. The light, of course, that Jesus is referring to is the word and the works of God. Now, Jesus is the light of the world. And he had been shining light into the world, and yet the world didn't understand the light. Because the light that Jesus was shining was much different than the light, supposed light, that was supposed to be coming from those who were representing God at the time. If you notice, Jesus will tell them later on in verse 35 that their light is darkness. They think it's light, they think they're giving out light, and yet really they're giving out darkness. So the spiritual leaders of Israel are not, not being the light they're supposed to. So Jesus is trying to help them understand where they sit spiritually here. But he himself is reflecting the light. And he says, what do you expect from the Messiah? The Messiah is going to come and shine his light forth. And of course, you're not receiving the light. You're not allowing it to reflect in your own life. And you're not displaying the light. The Jews were called to be the light of the world. They were never ever to contain the light within themselves. They were supposed to uh, let God's word come in their life and conform them to his image and then take that gospel, take the word of God, the Old Testament, the law, whatnot, and to go into the world. And they were supposed to tell other people about it, but they started to conceal the light. And in fact, uh, you know, when you read about Jewish history, you, you'll notice that uh, most Jewish people will, will try and talk you out of becoming a Jew. Want you to convert to Judaism. And of course, today that's irrelevant because Jesus has come. But think about it when you're in the context of pre Christ. And what you have is a one nation worshiping the one true living God through a temple service, and you have his people sort of being a hindrance to you. Jesus, Jesus even tells us that that's what they were doing. They're being a hindrance in several different ways, but they're not shining the light. Jesus is, in, Jesus is inferring in one way in this passage that I am shining my light. I am not putting my lamp in the cellar or under a basket. I am shining it. I am the example of what it looks like to be the proper light into the world. However, the very same time it's an indictment upon the Pharisees and the scribes who have hidden the light. They've tucked it away. They've, they've not been doing what they were supposed to do. It's a rebuke to them. They were not doing what they were called to do. Jesus tells us on a different occasion something you know, similar to what he's saying here, but Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, verses 14 through 16, he tells us about what his church is supposed to do. We as believers in Christ are supposed to be the light. Listen to this. You are the light of the world. A city Set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Listen, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The Pharisees were not doing that. Jesus says to you and I today, let your light shine. Walk in these, well, as Ephesians 10 put it, Ephesians 2.10 tells us, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, i.e. light. Good works, the word and the works of God. That's what he's talking about when he refers to light. But, but God, we are his workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What an indictment upon 
Not only the Pharisees, but the church today, if we're not letting our light shine. He tells us very plainly here that it's through the light of our works in the world and through his word that he's seen. And if we don't do any works that God has prepared beforehand, by the way, it's not something you're out there, man, I've got to find some good works to show my God to people so that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Did you, did you see it? God did it for you already. He created the good works that you're supposed to walk in. God's done everything for you. We, we keep continually saying God has a plan for your life and you just need to walk on that plan. He does. Even the very good works that you're going to walk in, he prepared beforehand from the foundation of the world saying, Tim is going to do this today and tomorrow and the next day and I'm going to shine my light through him in these ways, not for his glory, but for mine. That's what Jesus said. It's all about the glory of God. And so when you walk in those good works, when you allow that light to shine through you, then you are to be a mirror and glorify the Father in heaven. When people come at you horizontally, you point them vertically. They go, oh, hey, that was great. Yep, the Lord is good. Hey, thanks for helping me out. Well, the Lord has done so much, hasn't he? You know, we're the beam. Don't be awkward about it. I, I, I used to be that way when people would come up to me and say, hey, you know, good job, and I'd be like, uh, I don't know what to say, what do I, you know, they're like, uh, sorry for giving you a compliment, uh, you know, don't, don't be like that, but, you, but here's the deal is that give God the glory. He created the works that you work in. Man, you're just so loving. You know, the only reason I'm like that is because it's God in me doing that. I'm not loving in myself. It's the Lord that's loving, loving uh, you through me. And I'm so grateful that I can experience that love of God that it can come out in me in such a way that it would affect you. The Lord is so good, and he's prepared these things for us. So, therefore, don't hide them. Don't suppress his word or the works that he has before you. Jesus goes on here, and he tells us that light must be received in order to be reflected. He goes on in verse 34 as he's illustrating this idea of a lamp, and if it's hidden, you know, then... then it's not doing what it's supposed to do. Then he goes in and he says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it's bad, your, full, your whole body is full of darkness. Then he says, therefore, be careful, lest the light in you darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Now, Jesus kind of turns the analogy a little bit. A lamp is external that's meant to be set up on a stand to pro project light. It's supposed to, it's the source. It gives light. The eye. Oh, the eye is the receiver of light. Do you know our human eye, how it works? It's fascinating. You know, many, many people um, you study the eye and, it, and it, it's a cause of some coming to Christ because of the complexity of the way that our eye works. But you know, our eye, the only way that we can see is a light of uh, the effect of our eye being effective in taking light in, reflecting it, sending a, um, it reflects upon rods and cones in the body. The rods give the shape, the cones give the color. It sends a signal to your brain, and then your brain projects an image. Is that crazy? It's all on light. It all works on light. So Jesus has given this analogy. He's saying, so a lamp you put on a stand because it causes you to be able to see what's in the darkness. But if your eye is bad, it doesn't matter how bright the light is, you won't be able to see because you have a bad eye. 
That's where we have visually impaired people. We have blind people as a result of their ineffective being able to reflect and receive light correctly in their eye or to, re or to be able to translate that information from the eye to the brain. That's why people go blind. Because their eye's not working properly as it relates to light. Jesus is saying you have a bad eye. Pharisees and scribes. Now we know the eye to be um, what Jesus is speaking about, we know it to be speaking about the heart, which again is simply just an eye, it's an analogy of speaking about the, very, the central place where we deal with our emotions, our intellect, all, all of our decisions, our morality, all of that has come from the center of the being, which is in the, in the, um, the word called the heart, or the mind. Some, some of the Jews refer to it as the mind. It's that central place speaking about where we process things. And Jesus says, if your spiritual eye is unwilling to process light, then you will remain blind. Now, notice that we all start out blind. We all start out with a bad eye. There, within us, we are incapable of dealing with light. It's only by the grace of God that we can, we can begin to see. But, but there has to be a willingness for us to see. It's all based on our willingness to submit to God. I can tell you that it was 24 years into my life that I was unwilling to see the Lord. Totally. I, I would not see what it, he kept bringing people into my life. I didn't grow up in a Christian home or anything, but he kept bringing people into my life, sharing to me with me the gospel, and I stuck to the script. Well, I'm a good person, and I think good people go to heaven. I don't think God would hold it against me because, you know, I'm trying to do all the right things. I was not. But in my mind, I'm not murdering people, so that makes me good. You know, again, this, I had... I had my own interpretation of what good was. I had a bad spiritual eye. And no matter the amount of light that came at me, I was unable to see until there came a time in my life where I said, I want to see, Lord. I want to know. And it's interesting, the moment you turn your heart to God and you say, Lord, show me. Oh, the Bible says, if you seek me, you'll find me if you seek me with all your heart. When you turn your spiritual eye to God and you say, God, show me. I want to know. And I came to that place in my life when I was 24 years old. Show me, Lord. I want to know. And he did. And at that moment, I was able to see light. Now comes step two. I have a decision to make. Am I going to surrender to what I'm seeing? The Lord started to show me that I'm not a good person. That I need a Savior. And that he sent a Savior so all this light's happening, all this, you know, all this stuff's happening in a moment. All of a sudden, all those people that sowed seeds into my life, it all came together in one decision, in one evening, in my bedroom, by myself, at midnight, where the Lord brought to mind all of these things, and he said, I'm going to show you, but you've got to be willing to receive it. And he shined light into my life. For the first time in my life, I got it. And I received Christ, and I just asked the Lord, I repented of my sin, and I turned to Christ, and I said, I, want to be, I don't want to be the same person, I want to be different, Lord. And the very next day, I woke up a different person. And that is the reality of when our spiritual eye turns good, as a result of God's grace upon our life, the blood of Christ that, that covers our sin, that removes us, that white as snow, when, when that comes into our life, everything changes. Everything changes. The Bible tells us that, I mean, how can the living God inside you and you be the same person? You can't. It's impossible. 2 Corinthians 5.17, that is the evidence of salvation. 
change in your life. If anybody's in Christ, he's a new creature. All the old passed away. Behold, things have become new. Christ comes into you and your life is forever changed. That's what happens in the process of Jesus talking about going from a bad eye to a good eye. But if you have a bad spiritual eye, it is impossible for you to see the light. It's impossible for you to see it. Jesus is shedding some light upon these people who have hardness of heart and are unwilling to see. And yet, he still proclaims. That's why we don't stop sharing the gospel. No, we just continue to go into a hard-hearted world that seems they have bad spiritual eyes. And as we go in and you continue to tell the, the blind people, no, I want to give you sight. Yeah, right. I don't believe in that. And, and the gospel is so simple to people most of the time that they want to reject it. And yet they think by their, it's, it's pride. God would tell us that we continue to speak as an example of Jesus here, that we continue to shine our light regardless of what, how the world is receiving the light. There's a condition here that Jesus speaks about. When we sit before the Word of God, the light, this condition, it, it, it will determine whether we remain spiritually blind or whether we gain spiritual eyesight. It's a matter of our ability to receive and reflect the light. He talks about, again, in verse 35 there, therefore be careful lest the light in you be darkness. Jesus said of the Pharisees, you search the Scriptures. They were in the Word. You search the Scriptures, for in them you think that they have life, and I tell you that they speak of me, he said, right? This isn't a matter of these people not knowing God's Word. It's not a matter of them knowing to say the right things at the right times. They understand, they know His Word, they've memorized His Word, and yet they're spiritually blind. I'm thinking Jesus is in Middle Tennessee. I don't know. Am I off base here? Because it seems like, you know, Everywhere you go here, everybody has the right answer and they can say the right things, but yet the life doesn't reflect the light. It's been said that we live in the Bible Belt. You know, there's a whole lot of belt, but not a Bible. We, we live in an area where people are deceived. And, you know, honestly, if, you do, if you've ever done any kind of street witnessing around here, we're going to go out today after church, man. Join that team at 1.30. And you'll see what I'm talking about. You go to people and you have conversations and maybe you've experienced this, but they're a Christian because their grandpa was a preacher. Or they're a Christian because, they're, you know, because they were raised in a Christian home and yet they have no life in them. They have no light in them and they are spiritually blind. They're deceived. And Jesus is speaking to those people. Oh man, when you think, you know, you, it's been said that we have to get people unsaved in Tennessee to get them saved. Because everybody thinks they're a Christian. And yet the Word of God distinctly tells us what that looks like. He tells us that there'll be change in our life. He tells us that we won't be the same person. He tells us that, you know, do not be deceived in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 6, um, 9 through 11. If you're doing all these different things, do not be deceived. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because what fellowship does light have with darkness? Jesus is telling this crowd of people, there are some there that are sitting in darkness that believe that they're sitting in light. And he said, man, that is the most dangerous place to be. Thinking you know all the answers and actually not knowing anything. Thinking that you can see clearly, that you're 2020 vision, and Jesus says you're absolutely blind. It's a result of the spiritual eye 
that spiritual eye. That's why the Bible tells us that we be careful with our heart. That, that because from it spring the issues of life. We have to be careful about our heart and con- we have to continually check our heart. What is the condition of my heart? Am I, um, you know, am I, is my heart all rocky today? Is it, is it full of, you know, is it hard packed and just been pounced upon throughout the week and I'm just done with it? And so or is my heart, you know, and then I come into God's house and has it been plowed and ready to receive his word? We have to be diligent with our hearts because it's going to stop you from being able to receive and reflect the light that God wants to send into your life. If you, so you have to be careful with your heart. You have to make sure that your heart is prepared when you come. When you sit before his word, not just here, but when you open his word at your, in the, hopefully daily you're sitting before him. And the light's going in you and you're receiving it and it's changing your outcome. It's an inside out kind of living is what Christ is talking about here. He goes on and, and he talks about, um, you know, he's being invited now to uh, this, uh, this dinner party. And um, if, don't ever invite Jesus over to your house if you don't want to hear the truth. Because he's going to tell you the truth. And sometimes it's going to be offensive. But, but he, the, 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 the idea of him being offensive is for the purpose of you knowing the truth. And he always does it, does it in love. He always speaks to us in love. And love doesn't hold back the truth when there's things in our life that are wrong. It's love that speaks. You know, so, so Jesus goes, um, he accepts the invitation. Check this out, verse 37. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went and reclined at the table. Now Jesus goes over to this dude's house. Again, we don't know the intentions of this guy. There doesn't seem to be any ill intentions. Um, and maybe, you know, again, maybe it's because he wants to see more signs from Jesus. We don't know why he's going. But the guy invites him, and what does Jesus do? He goes. Some of us are, are a little tentative to go to a non-believer's house. Oh, I don't know. Should I do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. With the right heart. The purpose is to go and shed some light, to, to, to build relationship. So, there, listen, every one of us should have unbelievers in our life. And we should be ministering to unbelievers in our life. That's how we let our light shine, right? If we don't have anybody, if we're just trying to shine our light with each other, hello, we're in a lit room. No, no, you need to see my light. No, see my light, you know. Jesus said, hey, go take your light out there where there's darkness. There ought to be unbelievers in your lives. You ought to be, you know, you work with unbelievers. You, you, you know, you, you eat in places where there are unbelievers. There's unbelievers everywhere. More unbelievers than there are believers. And so, you know, let, 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 let your life be not surrounded and, and centered on unbelievers, but it should be a part of your life. Jesus went to unbelievers' houses. And that's why he was rejected by the, by the scribes and Pharisees. They couldn't believe it. What's he doing hanging out with these guys? But Jesus says, oh, but you're, as, you're, you're probably more dark than they are because you're going to be more held accountable because you have more light that you've been exposed to than these people. So Jesus goes to this guy's house, and notice he doesn't give them, he doesn't um, submit to the traditions of the day. Now, don't misunderstand this. Jesus never broke the law of God, ever. This is not the law of God. This is a tradition of man. When he walks into this guy's house, as you would go into a Pharisee's house or a Jew's house for that matter, a, a good law-abiding Jew would follow the traditions of man during this time. That they would do these ceremonial washings and they would take, it's precise, man. It's like there's a process you have to go through. You take an egg and a, a half 
egg and a half cups, you know, a, a size of an egg, one and a half of those full of water, and you wash your hands this way first, and the water runs down your hands, and then you take it and you run it the other way, and there's this whole, they put their hands in their fists and all this kind of stuff. I don't know how they do it exactly, but, but they still do this in, in uh, Israel today, and many Jews all over the world do this today. In fact, if you go over to Israel, you'll see that they have these, these cups that are by every single water source where you can wash your hands, and there's two handles on them. One is the unclean handle, one is the clean handle. They're on the same cup. But, but they're so precise about how they do this because it's, it's a tradition of man. And yet, we see Jesus doesn't honor the tradition here. Now, I want you to understand something because what Jesus is not doing is standing up for his rights. Okay? He's not going in there going, well, I'm, I'm going to stand up for my rights and I'm not going to do that. There's no way I'm going to do that because um, I just will not. It's, I don't believe that and so I'm not going to do that. No, no. This is an opportunity that Jesus is providing for them. You see, Jesus is, is he's, he's not going to, he's going to offend them on purpose. This is thought through. This isn't something Jesus goes, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, you know, I, I don't, I'm just, I don't believe that, so I'm not going to do that. But he goes in there with a purpose. This is one of those things where, you know, you see an a believer go into somebody's house and they're just like so holier than thou that they're, they're, everything that they, they're, they're letting everybody know what they're against already when they, when they run into the room and they're like, no, I'm, I'm against that. Oh, I'm, I can't do that either. No, I'm against that. But, oh, you brought, oh, I can't do that. Uh-uh. But, but yet, it's for a purpose. That's the wrong representation of Christ to go in and to make a stand for what you believe. It's not to stand for the truth. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus is standing for the truth here. But his, his point is to shed some light into their life. This is all about them, not about him. Christians go into the world and they make it all about them. About my rights, about my beliefs. And Jesus makes it all about other people. That's how Christians should live. Other people centered. How can I effectively show you Jesus? How can I do that? Because I don't care what I believe. I know what I believe and I'm good. But I want to minister to you somehow. How can I do that effectively? Sometimes it's through offense. And sometimes that happens. And it's difficult, but it's necessary. And so Jesus doesn't withhold offense here. He tells them, I'm not going to do it. Now, you can imagine the, the uproar that he created when he just walks right by the, the, the ceremonial cleanse and he goes, oh, I'm, no, I'm good, guys. I'm just going to go sit down. And he goes and sits at the dinner table and, uh, you know, everybody's looking at the host going, whoa, you see that? And, and the host is like, you know, this is me playing this in my mind. Hey, hey, Jesus. Oh, hey, you, I, you, you silly rabbit. Get over here, man. You forgot to do the ceremonial cleansing, you know. Come on. And Jesus just goes, no, no. No, I'm good. I'm good. And he's literally the only person that can say that. No, no, I'm good, by the way. <laughs> but, um, but he goes in. And he, he just reclines at the table. And his disciples are just like, I don't know. I'm following this guy. You know, they don't know what's going on. They're just following Jesus. This creates an opportunity for Jesus to be able to speak into this Pharisee's life. It says the Pharisee was astonished to see that he didn't wash his hands before dinner. Now, let me say this. Do not let your kids come to you and say, Jesus didn't wash his hands before dinner. 
And, and you'd be like, oh, you're such a Bible scholar. No, that's not, this isn't a hygien, hygienic thing. This is, this is ceremonial. Wash your hands before you come to the dinner table, right? But, but Jesus said to them, Pharisee, you're, you, you, you're worried about cleansing the outside of the cup or the dish, but the inside is full of greed and wickedness. He's essentially saying, you are a fool to think that you can simply take some water, which was specially prepared, by the way, to make sure it was in special containers, to make sure it didn't get contaminated in any way, but to take some special water and to wash your hands in such a way that it's going to cleanse you, that it's going to take away anything that, any offense between you and God. You're a fool, he said. And he said that in love. Now, what, what does he mean by fool? He means you are without understanding. But yet, we're the ones that have understanding, Jesus. What do you mean we're without understanding? We're, we're the ones that create understanding. I mean, look at all these laws and stuff we created. We don't understand God's law. Yeah, you don't. You don't because you think that you can, you can clean yourself from the outside and it makes you good and you can withhold all the yuckiness that's inside and God's that. It's an external living. And, and we, know the, we know the example of David when, when, when Samuel went to pick the king and he went through all the sons of Jesse and, and he was looking at the external and God said, Listen, Samuel, you're looking at the, at the outside. I don't look at it that way. I look at the heart. I look at what's inside. God sees what's inside. And we can do all these external things as Christians. We can try and act like we're, we've got it all together and we can come together and we're like, praise the Lord, brother. We can use the Christianese and we can speak God's word and all this kind of stuff. And we can think that we're okay with God and yet we can be completely and totally defiled inside. That's what he's saying. Beware of that. Be careful. Be careful that you don't have an appearance of godliness but deny its power. Be careful. That's what these guys were doing. Jesus tells them the remedy in verse 41. Look it. But give alms. But, but, give, but, give, us, but give, us, give us alms those things that are within. And behold, everything is clean for you. What is he saying? Is he talking about tithing here? Is he talking about giving alms to the poor? You know, just go out and give some, some things to the poor, another external act. And that's going to make you clean. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is saying, take that which is within you. All of the yuckiness in you, all the sin, all the malice, the deceit, the, 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 the anger, the lust, the, the sexual morality, whatever it is in your heart, and you come and vomit that before the cross is what he's telling them that they must do, that they have to repent. He's pointing them to repentance because understand, repentance was still a big part of pre-cross living for the Lord. Repentance, to confess your sin, to turn away from it. Don't think that you could show up to the, um, to the temple and slay an animal and just do some external acts and it was all good. It had to be done in a heart of repentance. Understand that on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, that if the people weren't repentive, the high priest was dying when he went inside. You understand? Like it's that serious. Like, like when he went in with the blood to put it on the mercy seat, he was, he was hoping everybody was repentant because he was making atonement for them and for himself. And God won't be mocked. Oh yeah, Lord, I'm, I'm repentant. I'm, I, you know, and yet you, you have all kinds of junk inside you. The Lord says, turn away from that stuff and turn to me. That's how you're clean. That's no different after the cross, you understand. It's through repentance. 
you know, you, you, you can't just simply believe that Jesus came and died on a cross, but you have to receive that. And when, in the order to receive it, you're turning away from your life and you're turning to God and offering all that you are to him. You're turning away from your sin and you're turning to him. You're repenting, literally. You're making a decision to go the exact opposite way. Jesus tells us that the way that we're clean is by dumping what's inside of us out to the Lord. He would tell us this morning that if we're deceiving ourselves in some way and thinking that we can hide our sin and be okay with God, oh, the Lord will never see this, and we just continue to operate in this mode of darkness behind the scenes. Nobody knows about it. It's just me, and God's good with me anyways because Jesus died and all that kind of stuff. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. The Lord is the same Lord as he was in the Old Testament. He's the same Lord today. He's the same Lord that... that um, that struck down Ananias and Sapphira. He's the same God. He's a gracious and merciful and loving God, but he is a holy and just and righteous God. And, and, he, and he doesn't play games. He, he wants your lips to match your life. Don't, don't say, oh Lord, I'm, I'm, I worship you, and you really don't. You're, you're literally held accountable to those things that you know. And you know when you hear God's word and you refuse to do what it says, you're held accountable to those things. The Lord would tell you this morning, if there's stuff in your life that you've been hiding, that you would just take that before him, as he says in verse 31, then you would repent. You just turn to him. Turn away from those things and turn to the Lord. Now, you think this guy's a little bit thinking, why did I, why did I bring Jesus to the table here? I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I mean, Jesus is already creating a little indigestion. They haven't even eaten yet. But look at verse 45, he, he, or 42, he's really going to get into it. He's, he's going he's to he's woe the dickens out of these guys. He said, oh, you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them. Without knowing it, what Jesus is dealing with in these first three woes is this position of appearance of being holy and you are not. Oh, you think you're holy because you tithe. He doesn't say don't do that. Notice, but he says, oh, you're doing that in an external sense, but you're rejecting the, the first and primary thing, and that is love in, in the life of a believer. Not some external thing. Look how giving I am. I give God... You know, I give God 10%, I give God 20%, I give God 2%, whatever it is. I'm a cheerful giver. Look at how godly I am. And the Lord says, but you're rejecting love. Hey, you want to talk about godliness? Godliness is measured by the amount of love that we are, uh, you know, projecting out. Godliness. If you're like Christ, you're loving. If you're like Christ, you, you love his creation and his people. And, and you're not arm's length away from them going, man, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be with people. That would say something. Not all of us are, are extroverted and we're, hey, I'm here, you know. Not, not, not all of us are like that. But I tell you, Christ in you, the love of Christ in you will come out of you. And some of us are more reserved and we're, and that's fine. I'm not talking about personality traits. I'm talking about love. I'm talking about genuineness in the heart that says, you know what? 
I care for that person. When I say, hey, can I pray for you? I intentionally care about what they're saying to me. It's just not some Christian cliche that I say because I'm in church. No, but I genuinely care for them. He tells these guys, you neglect justice and the love of God. But, but you're tithing. Way to go. And he goes on here. Woe to you Pharisees. You love the best synagogues in the houses. So, so the best, best uh, seats in the synagogue were on the stage where everybody could see people, right? And so the Pharisees would pride themselves up on the stage and they would sit down so that all could see them and everybody in the crowd would be like, oh man, look how holy those guys are. If only I could just be that holy, Lord. If only I could be like them, having an appearance of holiness. And Jesus says, man, you got your reward. You're being praised, right? You're being greeted in the marketplaces. In the marketplaces, there would be a gate, Always in a marketplace, there's a gate, and there's a, there's a seat there on that gate. And that's where, you know, when you talk about, like, the, 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 all the religious leaders would hang around the gate. That's where the prominent men would come, and they would meet at the gate. Like, business was done at the gate. Judging was done at the gate. There was all kinds of things done at the gate. And Jesus says, man, you love to stand at the gate. You love to be at the marketplace and have people pat you on the back. And greet you. Oh, Rabbi so-and-so, you're so great. Yeah, they, you know what they had? They had a status, a, like a celebrity status. And they loved it. Oh my goodness. Talk about an indictment upon the church today. And their love for celebrity status. Treat me like a celebrity. Look at how great I am. Hey man, I, I, I love, I'll never get over the idea of what Greg Laurie says. I'm just a beggar trying to show another beggar where to get some bread. That's what we are, man. You and I shouldn't be treated any different. And yet there is a world out there that wants to praise man, that wants to prop up man, and man wants that. And if we're not careful, we'll receive that. Jesus says, be careful. He says, these guys are like that. And then he finally says, you guys think you're clean? You guys are like unmarked graves. Unmarked graves to a Jew was like, the ultimate booby trap, you know? Like if you were a Gentile and you really wanted to get the Jews, you'd just put a graveyard like and, and kind of cover it up, like ambush it. They'd be walking through and like, ah, I'm unclean, you know, because there's dead people there. I'm just kidding. That really didn't happen. I know you thought that, but they didn't really do that back then. But um, he tells them that they're like unmarked graves, man. And people walk over them without knowing it, and now they're unclean. People walk over them. And now they're unclean. Literally, they think they're making people clean. They're making them unclean by the rules and the regulations and this level of whatever false holiness that they're trying to portray. He goes on here, and, and now this is hysterical. Jesus, uh, verse 45, Jesus, um, do you know you're, offend you're, you're, you're insulting us when you say that? No, no, not, not the religious lawyers. I'm not, oh my goodness, I didn't mean you guys. Not the religious lawyers. He says, teacher, in saying these things, you also insult us, or you insult us also. And it's like, you know, <laughs> and he, you had little tears. And Jesus is like, come here, little buddy. Let me slap some sense into you because I am meaning to insult you in a good way, in love, in love. He goes, woe to you lawyers also. He goes, man, you guys are supposed to interpret the law. You're supposed to break the law to the people and all you're doing is heaping more rules and regulations on the people. You yourselves can't even keep these things. It's insulting, you're sending people to hell. 
insulting you? Oh my goodness. Listen, they were faulty interpreters of God's word. And I could preach on that for another couple hours about how that is in our culture today, how that is a faulty interpretations of God's word, how people are watering down the gospel requiring no repentance. They're, they're giving this you know, prosperity gospel that is all about self and it's everything that God wants to do for me and, and I'm going to make myself a better version of myself and all this kind of stuff and God's going to pour down his blessings upon me because he cares about all the materialism in this world and he really wants me to have all this stuff. This is all faulty interpretations of God's word. God will bless you, but it's in his way, not in, not in what you, how you want to determine that. God's faithful, man, and he will bless you. But we can't water down what his word says. We have to speak it in love, but we can't change it. We've got to let his word speak for itself. Listen to what Spurgeon said. I mean, there's people that are faulty in this realm of being legalists when it comes to God's word. There's people that are being faulty when they become liberalists in God's word. Well, God's, we can't do anything. Well, we can do everything. Two extremes. And, and, and Jesus says they're both wrong and they're both sending people to hell. Listen to what Spurgeon said. He said, a man should live up to his light. But if that light itself is darkness, what a mistake his whole course will be. If our religion leads us to sin, it is worse than irreligion. If our faith is presumption, our, self, our, our zeal selfishness, our prayer formality, our hope a delusion, our experience infatuation, the darkness is so great that even our Lord holds up his hands in astonishment and says, how great is that darkness? I'm sorry for offending you, lawyers. But how, but you're leading people to hell. You're sending people the hell by your faulty interpretations, by the darkness that is in you. He goes on here and he continues to shine the light on the scribes and the Pharisees here in verse 47. Woe to you. He talks about the prophets of old. For you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you're witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers. For they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, presently as Jesus is speaking to you guys. You're going to be accountable for this. Woe to you, lawyers. For you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you, you were hindering those who were entering Jesus is telling these guys that he's basically painting the picture that the only kind of prophet that they celebrated was a dead prophet. That's the kind of, that's the kind of uh, spiritual leadership that was existent from you know, the days of Moses all the way up through the days of Christ, from Abel to Zechariah. It covers the entire Old Testament. Jesus is saying, man, you... you only you celebrate those who are dead. And, and isn't it interesting that most prophets and most teachers are most admired when they're dead? Isn't it interesting how that works? I think God does that so that it keeps us humble. I don't think Charles Spurgeon thought that people would be quoting him in our day and age. I don't think the Apostle Paul thought 
he would have written, you know, most of the New Testament. And yet, you know, God used these guys in such a wonderful way. And we don't worship them. We worship God, the God in them. God can use you just like he can use any of these guys. Jesus is telling these prophets that any, or these Pharisees and scribes, that anybody that rose up that would take away the limelight from them, they killed. They would just take out. Oh, you're taking my glory. Ugh. And, and Jesus, in this sense, is really predicting his own death. He's really talking about the death of himself and his apostles, that they are also going to kill them. They're just like their dad. They're just like their fathers. They're of the, their father, the devil, and, the, and he is here to kill, steal, and destroy, and that's what they're acting like. And they are, they are, they've taken on the characteristics of their forefathers, and anyone who rises up that will um, challenge what they're doing, they will slay. It's sad to see. G. Campbell Morgan said that one can almost feel the withering force of his strong and mighty indignation. Indignation directed not against the people, but against their false guides. And yet behind it all is his heart. Listen. And the woes merge into a wail of agony. The cry of a mother over her lost child. Jesus is literally weeping over the people as a result of the leadership that they're sitting under because they're being led astray. They're being led astray. He, he tells them, woe to you lawyers, you have taken away the key of knowledge. You've taken away the key to knowledge. I gave you knowledge and you hid it. I gave you light and you hid it under, under a basket. You didn't allow it to come out. Your legalism is what you replaced with God's grace. So you give people a bunch of rules and regulations. You don't give them freedom from their sin. You just heap it on them more so that people finally get to the place where they're just like, man, I, I can't win. I'm just going to give up. Is that the kind of God we serve that would say, I'm going to get people to the... He, he wants us to give up, but he doesn't, doesn't um, get us... His rules and regulations... Um, you know, we're, we're called to live by grace. And it's his law that shows us that we can't live according to what his standard is. That's the whole point of it. These guys said, no, no, you've got to live by the law or you're dead in him. No grace at all. We serve a God of grace. David Guzik said, it's bad for someone not to enter, the, enter into heaven themselves, but it's far worse to hinder another person from entering in. These guys and their legalisms were hindering people for coming in to right relationship with God. Let me just also say that if you teach the Bible that this is the most serious thing, you know, the Bible tells us that it, we're responsible to make sure that we divide it correctly. James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. It's a serious thing to take God's word and start to tell somebody else about it. You better make sure that you do it right. Now, we're witnesses. All of us are witnesses. And we're equally as responsible for our witness. Because it's not just with our words that we are speaking into the world, but it's with our lives. It's the way that we live. Our witnesses are teaching others too. The question is, are we leading people to Christ or away from Him with our actions? Jesus also is talking about the unbeliever here. 
that they are equally as responsible for what they receive. Listen, if I would have died before I came to Christ and when I was 24 years old, I would have stood before God and I would have been held accountable for all that I knew, all the light that he shed in my life. Now, we come with a base package, right, of knowledge, like God puts some knowledge in us to know him. But then he continues to sow the seeds of him, of who he is into our life, just simply by looking at creation, all kinds of different ways that he does it, through people, you know, just through simply his Holy Spirit speaking, does it in all kinds of ways, and we're held accountable for all these things. The Lord is saying, man, you know, you're going to be judged one day for the way that you, well, for what, for the light that you received and for the light that you projected. So just be, just know that. Be careful how you live. Make sure that you're right, really representing the Lord. The scribes and Pharisees, man, at this point, they are livid. They've heard enough from Jesus. They're like, you know what? Enough woes, Jesus. We get you're mad, but we're mad too. Now there's some serious heartburn going on in here, and Jesus is the source. And so he's going to exit the dinner party, notice. And it tells us as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and provoke him to speak about many things lying in wait for him to catch him in something that he might say. Now, everybody's going to react to God's word differently. You know, some people are going to receive it and some people aren't. Some people are going to felt like they just got punched in the face and they're going to want to fight you. You know, and, and, and Jesus, Jesus is just saying, just be responsible with the light. That's all you're responsible for is bringing the light into the world. He offended people and you're going to offend people. And, you know, but, but the call for the Christian is not to offend them for their sake, but it's to offend people for Christ's sake, right? It's not for us. We, we, you know, it's not about us. Don't ever get centered on yourself. If you're centered on yourself in a conversation, and, and just stop talking because you're doing damage to what God wants to do in somebody's life, it's got to be centered on them. Christ is centered on them. God was centered on you when he was sharing the gospel to you. He was trying to get you to woo to you, say, I love you. I, I want to be in relationship with you. You know, so make sure as you witness to people that that's your heart. These guys became so irritated with Jesus that they're trying to entrap him now. This wasn't the way the dinner party started, but it's definitely the way it ended because these people have a diseased eye. They're unwilling to see the light. They don't want to see the light, and you're going to face people in the world that are like that. Proverbs 9, chapter 8 and 9, or chapter 9, 8, verses 8 and 9 says, Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. You're going to encounter people that are fools in the world, and you're going to encounter people that want to know God. And you know, those who reject Christ, your heart should break for. Christ's heart broke for these people. I think that as he walked away, he was broken for their pride, for their unwillingness to see that which he was bringing before them. They had the Messiah, the one that they were waiting for. And they just said, no, no, we'll just keep waiting. We'll just keep waiting, Jesus. You're not the one. Totally full of pride. You're going to encounter people like that. And so just know that. They're going to hate you, it says. Reprove a scoffer and they'll hate you. But you're going to run into some wise people. 
at some point that will humble themselves before the Lord and they're going to say, you know what, I, you're right, I need, that, I need the Lord in my life. The Lord rebukes you and I at times. And my prayer is that as His light in, comes into our lives through love, that we receive that light and then we take it reciprocally back into the world in love. As God opens up your eyes to himself, that you receive that and then you take that back out in the same way that was given to you. Don't get self-righteous. Don't start getting this list of do's and don'ts and rules and all this kind of stuff. Don't become legalists or liberalists. Become Bible-centered uh, Bible people that are only concerned about what his word says. Be wise and listen to the spirit of God as he would speak to us. Dine in the light, not in the darkness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and just for speaking to us this morning, Lord, about the call that we have in our lives to be the light of the world. And Lord, we see the representation in that day of how they were thinking they were walking in light and yet they were darkness, Lord. They were simply walking through the world spewing darkness, not light. Father, let that not be us. I pray against any legalisms in our hearts today, Lord, that your spirit would, would just cut through those things and help us to rightly understand your word. Pray for God for any liberalisms in our hearts, God, that things that we're doing that we ought not do, um, that we think that are our, our rights, Lord, that we would just humble ourselves before you and say, you know what, Lord, whatever you want, I don't, I don't, it's not about me. Lord, help us to be careful at the witness that we are to this world because you came into the world and you rebuked those who were representing you. Those who were living in darkness who didn't proclaim to be anything, you ministered to and yet you rebuked those who were representing you. Lord, we sit before you. We ask that your spirit would just continue to lead us as we end this service, Lord, through the song that you would just speak to our own hearts about how we're representing you in this world. And Lord, as we open up the altar and, and uh, as we just bring our request before you this morning, maybe things that we need to get right with you about, that you would just minister to us through, through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, who was crucified and rose again for, our, for us, Lord. And I pray, God, if there's anyone here this morning that doesn't have a relationship with you, that you would open their hearts to know that Jesus came and that he died, and then he rose again, so that we could have life. And the one requirement for us is that we repent, that we put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we turn away from our sin, and we turn to Jesus, and we put all of our faith in him. We put all our eggs in the basket of Jesus. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that needs that relationship with you, that you would just help them to just, in the quietness of their own heart, just receive you by simply saying, Lord, I turn away from my sin today, and I turn to you, God. I believe in your Son who was crucified for me, who died and rose again from the dead for my sin. And I receive him now, and I make me a Christian, Lord. I'm turning my whole life over to you, and I'm asking you to be the Lord of it. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Lord, as we continue on in worship, with a sincere hearts that you would just speak to us in Jesus' name. 
Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.